You guys ever just feel like you need to take like a like a deep breath and let it all out? Y'all do that. Do that with me. Just a whew. Or maybe you need a whoo. Maybe you want to shout with a whoo. I don't know. That's fine, too. Maybe you just had a really good week while some of us are dealing with, with some rough different stuff. I don't know. So wherever you're at, just let it all out. Get, get it on out your system right now. That way you're ready to, one, be filled. Or at least if you let some of it out, it at least got to the bottom so that in a minute we can get rid of the rest of it. Uh, and, and, and then fill it back up, right? All right, here's where we're at. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you this. <laughs> I'm going to try to keep the intro organizing in order and all the rest is going to be complete chaos. All right, here's the benefit to having a brother who will read the whole chapter, uh, before we start. Cause now you should all know the whole chapter because you've read it, you've heard it. So I don't have to stay in order now. All right. So, so that, that's kind of where we're at. Uh, before we jump into that though, here's what today is. If you don't know, today's Pentecost. And some of you are thinking, I don't know what Pentecost is. Some of you are thinking, isn't that like a, another religion's holiday and, and, and all that? Here's the gist. I prayed all week because for most pastors and people who understand what Pentecost is, it's like a Sunday you want to preach. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like like the Holy Spirit came down, filled up a room, blew it up, and, and, and you just want to blow the church up, you know, in a good way uh, with that. So I'm not going to lie to you guys. My prayer all week has been, Lord, I want to preach Pentecost. Uh, I want whatever verse you want to use, Lord, but I want, I want to preach it. The Lord would not let me leave Second Samuel for nothing, and now I know why. Oh, uh, with what's going on currently, with some things that, that tie directly in, and even to the point of this, because here's one of the things God gave me this week as I'm praying on Pentecost and, and thinking on it. And, and, and I'm trying to tie this into something where I got myself in trouble doing my own study on a Sunday morning, which you should never do a study different on the verses you're about to preach. That just messes things up. But anyway, oh, uh, you know, so, so here, here, here's one of the things the Lord gave me. So you men prepare for Wednesday. All believers hopefully get this. Pentecost should be more than a day. It should be, should have been for a lifestyle. Now, what I mean by that is this. We shouldn't need, now we use it and, and God has set up a lot of calendar things because we're knuckleheads and we need those reminders on those dates on, on what things is, but we shouldn't need a day to celebrate and remember what Pentecost is. And, and with what God's got lined up for this chapter today, and, and if he hadn't already stepped on your toe just by the reading of it, or maybe what you saw in the news last night or this morning or what's going to continue to go on. We need some Bible believers that are so full of the spirit. It don't matter what day of the week it is. They're going to start living the way God had called them to live and get his kingdom ready for his way. OK, so, so so that's really all I get to do on Pentecost, which is really heartbreaking as a person. But I think it's right on time with what the Lord wants. And I'm going to follow his way way more than than mine. And, 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 and I hope we're OK with that. Uh, we are going to do it on Wednesday. So you men, uh, do some, do some studying up women too. You should study Pentecost. It's good stuff. Oh, um, you know, and it should be more than just a day. Now, now here's the next part. Some of us last night watched news. Some of us this morning watched news. It's scary when you're married to somebody who's spiritually strong. Scary. Cause, cause they may do some plowing and then the Lord may like shove seed in there real hard. Because that's what the Lord normally does with me. He'll get it plowed, and he's not a gentle seed spreader. Like, you know, I, I've done, I've got got this little spreader from when we lived in the neighborhood, and I'd make my grass all green, and I'd spread that thing out all gentle and sweet and kind and whatnot. No, the Lord lets her plow a lot of times, or another brother, a good friend, or family, or whatever, and then he like shoves seed in that thing, and then packs dirt down on on top. And that's kind of where I was this morning, because personally. I get sick of hearing a lot about the crap on the news, to be honest with you guys. I, I really do. I get sick of it. I'm just, I'm, I'm the type of person who at one point I'll just quit watching news, don't even want to hear about it. 
won't look at anything just because I'm, I'm really just sick of the way people act on every side. So don't think I'm going on one side or the other. I mean, every side. She got heartbroken about what's going on. I think a lot of people have a lot of, especially a lot of ladies who are more tuned with, with emotion than, than maybe us men and, and, and whatnot. And I read this title for today. You see it on the screen, Half-Hearted Reconciliation. For lack of better terms, David does a pee-poor job at reconciling a relationship with his son. Not that today's sermon has been changed in any way to connect with what's going on in the world. The Lord did it all on his own. We as believers, not white, not black, not purple, not pink, not blue, not green, not red. I got a red neck right now, literally, so from, from, from fishing. We've done a pee-poor job at reconciliation. And what I mean by that is this. You've read the chapter, or at least you've heard the chapter now. David is content that somebody else deals with his problem. I got hard on us for two weeks and I'm hard on men all the time with it because I feel like we as believers have let the world corrupt sexual orientation on all fronts. And that's been kind of like my big soapbox thing for a long time because of that. Maybe my soapbox thing now needs to transition into we let the world handle all our problems that we don't want to handle. And that's why they've done a pee poor job and got half hearted reconciliation. Guys, we're failing we're failing at doing what Christ told us to do. We read this thing with the, the way this, this Joab approaches the situation, which is ingenious. And, and here's where I get in trouble because this morning I took off on the Samaritan woman. Um, Jesus and the Samaritan, read it on your own, whatever. You should know it by now, at least anyway. I, I got off on my own little tangent on that. And the way Jesus approaches this woman to, to deal with all kind of issues Blew my mind. And then I realized God's been doing it that way through every story in all of scripture. So, so let me get us back to where we are so I can get to, to where we're going. And I will tell you, keep your Bible open because I am going to go from beginning of chapter to the end of the chapter at a roller coaster speed. Okay. Cause I, and, and here's the other thing. And, and maybe, maybe this ties in with this morning as well. This has been, and I tell people all the time when you read scripture, make sure you get different viewpoints. I believe that. Not different people's opinions, different viewpoints of what the verses are saying, and nothing more. Read that thing 50 times. This has been one of the first chapters, not the only, but one of the first chapters when I read it, the first 10 times I read it this week, I got eight different viewpoints. And I think that's why this morning is going to be here, there, here, there, here, there. Okay, because we're going to look at this thing from different viewpoints, both good and bad. And it's weird when you when you can look at the same story and be biblically sound and correct and okay on what God is saying and, and get a little bit of a different viewpoint and lesson from each one of them. Okay, so I can guarantee today is for somebody 100%. Okay, maybe for everybody really. Maybe I shouldn't say something. I really believe wholeheartedly, which anytime we open scripture it should be. So, so let's get where we're at. If you hadn't been with us, you go backwards. Last chapter, chapter 13, Absalom's brother, Amnon, uh, rapes his sister Tamar. Absalom finds out about it. He waits two, four year, two full years uh, to take revenge uh, because his daddy did nothing. David finds out about it and, and gets angry. Finally, we see David get angry about something. Absalom flees to Geshur, which is where his granddaddy lives. Uh, he lives there with his grandfather for three years. So he's three years away from David, three years away from his king, three years away from his father. Now, I mean, you know, Father's Day is coming in a couple of weeks. And some of y'all think that's like a holiday for you. 
I'll tell you what Father's Day has always been for me is a knuckle. Uh, it's that seed planting thing again. That's what it is. Because because I, I get there and I'm like, it's cool to be honored. It's cool to be respected. It's cool to be loved and all that. But I'm like, what should I be doing more? Like, why, why do I deserve this? Because of some day some man put on a, on, on a calendar. You, you know, so that's where I'm. So, so here's what I want you to do. You mathematicians. I think God, I think God works out a little something here symbolically for us too. Two years, sister dies. Or, no, I'm sorry, man, I'm sorry. Sister gets raped, which is maybe just as bad. Two years, he finally does something. Leaves for three years. So now we're at what? Two plus three is five. Jot that in your notes, put it in the square. You're able to do that with all your fingers. You did an awesome job. We're going to come back to that. So two plus three, you got five years right now, okay? So Absalom murders his sister, flee three, or, uh, murders his brother, flees for three years. David knows, here's where we get real. David knows right where he is. Not a guessing game. Everybody knows where he went. Everybody knows where granddaddy lives. Everybody knows because this is a, a well-liked guy, which we'll get to in a minute also, right? But he never once goes after him. He never once tries to make contact with him. And we shake our heads and we get upset about it. But let's be honest. How many broken things do we know about? We know right where the person is, the thing is, maybe even the solution is, and we don't go after it. We don't approach it. We don't bust a phone call. We don't send a text. We don't even send an email. We don't try to go in person. We do nothing about it. So eventually Joab, and I'm going to tell you right now, I know a lot of people may not like Joab. I some things that go on a little bit later, but we need some Joabs in our life. Because eventually Joab, the captain of David's army, the man that's been with David since he was in the caves, you know, hiding from Saul. He says enough is enough and we need to do something about this. You know, for lack of better terms, maybe maybe he tells David, David, let me help you bring your son back. But but not in the way of me going to David as Joab and saying he does it smart. He sends a lady. A widow lady. With a story. He's good. Set the mode, right? He's real good. He does something exactly like Nathan does. He gets David with the story. And have you ever noticed when people approach, approach David every single time Nathan did and this lady, they not only have a story at some point in the story or at some point in the discussion, they always tell David this phrase worded a different letter every time or whatever. But they always say this phrase, hey, I think you should seek, seek what the Lord wants added us. This lady does it. Nathan's done it already twice. But the real smart. Yeah, I can get to David with a story rather than coming to him, you know, bluntly. And and at the same time, I can somewhere work that word in there. David, you need to seek the Lord and what the Lord wants into this. And and that's what that's what she does. So she gets this this story from Joab. She goes to very similar story. What David's got going on, you know, with with, with her children and and the loss of a child and the excommunication of another child. And all this and instantly, I don't know if you caught it instantly. David is so foolish. He doesn't he doesn't realize it's about him yet. But instantly he gives a verdict that the little one's looking for. She wants her son that's surviving to be safe, to be safe, to be allowed to be brought back, to not be punished. Instantly, David, yeah, of course, that's the right answer. Of course, that's that's what. Why are we so merciful with others and not merciful with our own family? And if that's not enough for you, that didn't punch you in the nose. How about, why are we so merciful with people outside the walls, but we're not merciful with people inside the walls? We're talking about a church family. Not even to say we shouldn't be, guys. But let's just use a case in point that's right on top. Why are we so merciful 
with hungry children in Africa. But we're not, not to say you're not. Understand me. I know, I know some of you are. I know probably all of you are. But we don't care about the hungry kids right outside. Right? Don't get quiet because you don't like it. Let's just be real and be honest about it. Now, I'm not saying one should carry more weight than the other. I think we should be merciful and on fire about all of them. I'm not saying one deserves more or one deserves less or anything like that. What I'm saying is, why are we so, when we read this all the time in Scripture in our own lives, why are we so more merciful with outsiders than we are with our insiders? David had some responsibility to initiate reconciliation. Whatever the, 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 the responsibility part was, he had responsibility to reconcile this thing. At some point, if David would have approached Absalom, sure, he might have rejected him, but David still had a responsibility. And I think a lot of us, sometimes we know we got a responsibility. We know we got something we're supposed to do, but we're so afraid of rejection. We're so afraid of it not working out the way we, we don't want it to work out. We're so afraid of being different. We're so afraid of doing something different that we let that fear cloud us. And instead of doing anything, we do nothing at all. That's what David did. David did nothing at all. And this lady comes to him and this lady is, is giving this speech. And right in the middle of the speech, look at verse 14 or the, the story, whatever you want to call it. Right in, the, right in the middle of verse 14, she says, we will surely die and become like water spilled on the ground. What she's telling David is basically this. There's urgency in some areas of reconciliation. David, we're all going to die, and then the opportunity for reconciliation is going to be over. Therefore, you need to do it now. And I don't know what needs to be reconciled in your life, but maybe God is saying right now, you're given an opportunity, and it's urgent for reconciliation to happen now. Whatever it is, with whoever it is. Some of you just need to be reconciled with yourself before you can be reconciled with somebody outside. Get reconciled with the Lord, and then you might be able to get reconciled with other people. When you don't do it in that order, sometimes the reason we, we have these prolonged things going on. What David does is the same thing I think a lot of us do, both with current situations and with not. Which, by the way, I'm just going to ask you right now. Please open your heart to let God speak to you in any way this morning. If it deals with what's going on right now, great. That's what God wanted. If it doesn't, then it's dealing with something else in your life. But please be opening up with the spirit to see what he's telling you this morning. OK, because we're talking parenthood. We're talking. I mean, we're talking everything. Right. And here's what David did. Here's what we do. David let the things that he couldn't fix stop him from fixing the things that he can fix. So that we need to remember a lesson from that. If we're going to look at David and we're going to learn from David, then we need to write down, don't let the things that can't be fixed keep you from fixing the things that can be fixed. I saw it yesterday, no different than, than, than any other. I didn't realize that was a spiritual lesson yesterday, but but would pack me in on the boat. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you guys. It didn't happen, so now I can be honest. I was afraid of motion sickness when these guys asked me to go out on this boat. You, you know, I got that, that macho man kind of mentality sometimes. I want to be the big, bad, strong guy. So, like, I, I don't ever want to admit weakness. Now, I can't ride rides, so I confess that to you guys. I'm, I'm a weenie when, it, weenie when it comes to that kind of thing. We can drop and we can go as fast as we want to. But if we spin more than two times around the merry-go-round, it ain't working out with this brother, okay? <laughs> so... So I'd already had that thought. I'm like, Lord, I'm going to get the seasickness thing. I'm going to throw I don't watch videos. Like when these guys start throwing up, they throw up the entire nine. And they ain't bringing that boat back just for me. <laughs> right? So, so so I already had that fear. It, and we got out there and it, it didn't happen. I was like, all right, this is good. But I watched Pac-Man after enjoying all the waves to get out there in the worst possible 
uh, swells and storm that you can possibly send a boat out into. Matter of fact, we got back. The guy told us if I hadn't known, we had a guy who knew a guy who knew a guy. That's a good country story, right? So if I hadn't known the guy that knew a guy, I would have told you guys I wasn't going out on this this morning. Uh, so that, that's how bad it actually was. He didn't tell us that afterwards. Thank you for that. Uh, but so, so, so in that, in that, in that scheme though, I looked over at Paxton. He was getting white. I said, Oh no. He enjoyed the boat ride, but now that we're stopped, like it's coming. And it came. And it came again. It came again. I think it ended up coming about four or five times. Like, oh man. Like this, this, this is bad. But he didn't let the thing that he couldn't fix stop him from fixing the things he could fix. Cat took some ginger. I didn't know ginger and B6 was going to be that good, but we bought a box just by reading on Google. He took some ginger and B6 and he's back at it. He caught that first fish and adrenaline took over. Then, of course, he wanted to brag on all us men while he caught maybe another one and another one. And it became a game to him and it was fun to him. And, but, but he didn't let what he couldn't, he could have sat there and said, you know what? I'm going to be sick this whole time and I, that's it. That's going to be it. Right? But he didn't. How many of us, though, as funny as that, that little story about yesterday applies to a spiritual. How many of us let the one thing we can't fix stop us from fixing everything? Do I have a solution for the crap that goes on outside? No. God, I wish I did. I, I, oh, I wish I, I wish I had like I wish I could just open a paper and tell you guys. Here's the solution, guys. What's going on in Columbia, Charleston? Here's what started in Baltimore a couple years ago. And, and, and it's going on here 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 in Minneapolis or Minnesota or wherever the heck the new current one is. And I wish, I wish I could, but I can't. So does that mean I need to be like Dave? Well, I can't fix that. I might as well just stop fixing anything. But that's our mentality, is it not? Is that not what we do sometimes? Oh, it's just too big of a problem. There's no solution. There is a solution. His name is Jesus Christ. And if his people would start acting like his people, I think we could start solving some stuff. At least taking care of it, right? Instead of somebody being mad about somebody because their granddaddy was mad at somebody's granddaddy about something that happened 700 years ago, and you was you was mad because you was raised this way by your granddaddy, and your great-granddaddy raised your granddaddy that way, and, and none of you got a clue what's going on because it was all about your granddaddy's 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 granddaddy. And now that applies to way more than race, by the way, in case you thought I was just talking race just now. Okay? That applies to religion just as well. Look at the woman at the Samaritan. I'm no one who spilled eggs. I'm going to preach that Samaritan woman eventually. All right? Let's get off of that. Let's get away from that. David, here's, here's the kind of funny part while, while we're there, because we're going to go from funny to sad real fast. Here's the funny part. David knew this was Joab. This woman finishes the story, and what does David look at her and say? Now, you be honest with me, because I'm the king. Did Joab put you up to this? <laughs> Can you imagine that woman, though, at that moment? Oh, crap, I'm dead. <laughs> like, this is it. Busted, yeah. Dang, done got me, right? You know, like when your mama looks at you or your daddy looks at you and you know you caught with the hand in the cookie jar, like red hand, and you're like, what? <laughs> she had that moment. I promise you she did. She's wondering, like, do I tell the truth or do I lie this thing out? Luckily, she tells the truth. She goes, well, you know, and then she kind of throws in that Lord thing again, right? You should seek the Lord, David. What is it the Lord is telling you? Not your emotions, not not your feelings, not your mom and daddy, not your raisin, not 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 your anger. What, what is the Lord telling you? Because because yes, Joab Joab did it. He sent me, right? And here's how fast we go from from funny because because that's kind of funny really when you realize it. But here's the sad part: Absalom returns to Jerusalem, but he never returns to his daddy. Ouch. 
Ouch. Now you want to talk about half-hearted reconciliation? That's about as half-hearted as you can get when you can get someone back in the area, but not back with the people and be okay with it. Like he was good with that. Like this is the solution. This is what we're going to do. Now, now let's apply that to us. How many of us are just happy to get somebody into the church, whether we're talking about a drug dealer, a different race, a prostitute or whatever else, I don't care. What, whatever level your, your, your personal thing went to or somebody you would never expect to be in a relationship with God, you were content because they got into church and then that was it. I got news for you. Them sitting on a chair can send them straight to hell just like anything else. Half of them sitting in chairs nowadays in just about every building, I hate to say, probably ain't living with kingdom mentality. Some studies say 70%, which is real heart-wrenching when you think about it. I think Billy Graham himself said that the greatest mission field he got was the church. Right? Wow. That's the greatest mission field you got is people who are supposed to already be kingdom-believing people. Right? That's the truth, though. So, And here's what happens. His apathy, his lack of caring is what led to this half-hearted reconciliation. He got to a point where he really didn't care. If he cared, he'd have went and sought out his son. If he cared, he'd have thought about a solution. If he cared, we would have had something more about it, right? We need to make sure that we're learning from David's mistakes, guys, and not just reading about them and making ourselves feel good. Because some of us are reading this area of David's life from chapter uh, 12 to about chapter 20, and we're like, man, I'm not that bad of a person. Right? That, that ain't the intention of those chapters. The intention of those chapters is to realize, man, I'm a lot like David. I need to get fixed. I'm a lot like this problem. I need to get fixed. Is reconciliation hard? You better believe it. Is it messy? You better believe it. But is it needed? Oh, yeah. I think it's about time we start doing a little bit of the messy stuff. A little bit of the hard stuff. I mean, about even Jesus, when he made his, his physical appearance on earth, where was he born? That's a messy area, if you didn't know it. Study, and, and, and for those of you who didn't know about the area, you can even look at, 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 the, at the physical location where he was born. What, what was he born into? Y'all's little, y'all's little fancy always setting that you got. You, you got a barn, you got a stable. What well, wasn't a barn and a stable? Crap. Call it like it is, right? He was born into a mess. He came to get messy. But I think some of his believers think, oh, we, we couldn't have put on our tie and look good. No, no, he came to get dirty, he came to get messy, right? So how about let's start sending the text? How about let's make the phone call? How about let's go for a visit? How about let's just do whatever it is, whether it's right, wrong, and different, but let's just do something to get in the right direction of reconciliation, right? I think if we would do something, God would take care of the rest. I really believe it. I wholeheartedly believe if we would just do something with the right heart motive, not just doing something to do something now, but if we would just do something, I think God would, get, would see an opportunity to throw the seed in and get some, some sunlight and water on that thing and get it going, right? We don't do this stuff because it's easy. We do this stuff because we're commanded to do it. Nothing about it's easy. Nothing about what goes on is outside is easy. But according to, to a holiday we celebrate today, the Spirit has poured himself down onto believers so that what wasn't easy can now become power possible because of Spirit power, right? Huh? Or maybe we missed that at Pentecost. Maybe you need to study a little bit more about what, what happened at Pentecost. He blew up a room so that a room could blow up a town, so that a town could blow up a, a country, so that the country could blow up the world. I guess blow up is probably not a good, probably not a good wording for that area of the world 
and what's going on today. So I apologize for that, but it's, it's as good as it can get, right? Uh, it won't be the wrong, first wrong thing I missed do, right? <laughs> Let's get back to this thing. And parents, hear me right here. Hear me here with, with what David's doing. When parents don't discipline their children right from the beginning, they tend to overcompensate and call it toughness. You know, you let them slide once, let them slide twice, let them slide three or four more times. And then you wall, you, you, you haul off and knock the, the snot out of them. And they don't have a clue what in the world that was for. They did the little T90 thing and finally got the crap knocked out of them. And they're like, man, I don't ever want to do anything big because the little thing got me that. Scripture says this. Maybe you men can grab this one. Ephesians 6, 4. Don't provoke your children to wrath. Do you not think when you when you overcompensate for punishment and call it toughness, that provokes your children to wrath? I think it does. Huh? Does that not make parent-child relationship worse rather than better? Maybe the right thing to do is to sit down and maybe this is all Absalom needed before he goes completely haywire in the future chapters. Maybe you just need a daddy to sit down with him and say, look, I screwed up there. I also screwed up in how I'm handling you right now, but we're going to start getting it right today. But no, we want to overcompensate and go completely crazy on stuff. Some of you are thinking, well, what they did was overcome it. Maybe it was, but they got our attention now. In case you wonder what I mean by our, I don't mean us white people. I mean us believers because I'm talking to believers. Okay? I think and I hope they got the attention of every believer. Because that, that's the two races. That's it. We interrupt the rest of it with all this other crap. In reality, there, there's a saved group and there's a lost group. And the saved group should be everything they doing to get the other group saved or at least seeing the idea of what a real kingdom life is like. If they don't see what the kingdom life is like, how in the world are they going to join the kingdom life? Right? I'm not talking about just getting churches where we got black and white people sitting together either. I'm talking about churches where we got black and white people eating together, hanging out together, fellowshipping together, relationships being built together. All right. So get all your southern mentality idea like a checklist out the way and let's get real on what we're talking about. I wasn't going to come back to that woman on the well, but you're killing me, Lord. The woman at the well, you know what she gets amazed by? Now, this is crazy now. She, she's amazed that one Jesus comes to her in the lesson and all he tells her. Y'all probably know most of it. She flips out when he wants to drink out of her cup. That's when she flips out. Read the story. She flips out when, when, when he wants to drink out of her cup. Now, what she's thinking is this, in case you don't get it, you little Southern Belle people, right? She's thinking, hold on. How a, how a clean, perfect person like you, a Jew, wanting to drink from a half-breed a half breed like me? She knew who she was. She knew the view that people had of her, right? Hey, 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 you you want to laugh? Sometimes I wish the Lord didn't speak to me. I, I said, Lord, we, we need like the perfect person. Because I can tell you all day long, and I can go talk to black people all day long and try to say, man, I'm the most neutral person you'll ever meet. I'm not. There's no, Nobody can be completely neutral. They can want to be. They can be as close to neutral as they can. So so I had this. This is where, where physical head and spiritual head just mess you all up. I had physical head. I said, well, I know what we do. We'll go find somebody who had a white mama, black daddy, or vice versa, and they the perfect person because they fitty-fitty. No, they're not because in the South, you look at them as black. So they can't be the perfect person. They could have been, but they can't be now. I don't even know where that came from. So that, I know that was for somebody today right there. But here's where the lady is. 
The lady's amazed that he wants to drink from her cup. Unbelievers, whatever race, whatever sin they committed, will get blown away when you want to drink from the same cup they drink from. And that, that is when, that is when Jesus is then allowed to preach to her. He don't even preach till after that. So, so man, what a lesson, right? The woman wouldn't even have been tuned in to listen, I don't think, if Jesus hadn't drank from a cup. I don't care how nasty your saliva is. Give it to me. Right? I don't care what kind of germs you might have on that. Give it to me. Right? Now, I don't know I don't know about some of you, but some of us need to get a little more involved before we start preaching. And maybe that's some of our problems right there, right? This, this is it. We make things worse because we overread. I got to get back on track. Now we're going to go way out of order. Go down to 25 through 27. Told you we was going to go out of order eventually, right? Skip all the way down to 25 through 27 and know that what the Bible is doing here, guys. Because you first read it and you have two thoughts. One, this thing is so ah, cattywampus. Like, what is this? Like, why, why are we getting a, why are we getting a lesson on, on how Absalom looked and, and what people think of him in the middle of this story? And I tell you why, because spiritually, biblically, scripture now wants you to draw to him being like Saul. What's the scripture say about it? Look at 25 through 27. I don't know if I put that one on the thing or not. 25 through 27. No man in all Israel was as handsome and as highly praised as Absalom. This is one good looking dude. You know, I can say that and not be gay, right? Because that's what scripture says. Scripture says ain't nobody been as fine as this cat right here in all the area. Not only was he fine, but ain't nobody even been praised like this guy been praised. This means he's hot and people like him. Now, think about that, because some of us, we see somebody who's hot and we don't like him because of jealousy, because of the attitude, because of whatever it is. Right. But Absalom, he's hot and people like him. I mean, he done took up for his sister. He done, he done took up vengeance. We wish we, you know, people started liking David after he killed Goliath. Right. Before they didn't have no attention. Right. People like that. Maybe people like Absalom killing his brother. Maybe they like the little violence going with it. Right. Highly praised. From the sole of his foot, picture this dude now, from the sole of his foot to the top of his head, he didn't have a single flaw. Go right, you're looking for the perfect man, women, this is him right here. Single ladies, zone in right here. If you're looking for a perfect man physically, because he's about to be real corrupt spiritually. When he shaved his head, he shaved it at the end of every year because his hair got too heavy for his head to even touch. Y'all didn't know, that's why I shaved my head. I shave my head every weekend because if I let my hair grow, it would just be too heavy for my head to hold up. Right? Yeah, Brian, too. Look at the ball. People say, thank you for shaving your head so that you can keep it up. Look how heavy this hair is, though, for real. He would weigh the hair on his head at the very end. I, I don't know about you guys, but like after I cut my hair, which which is like little grains like this, at the pile after you rake it all up, right? Or after I cut one of the boys' hair, like on a, when we get a long period of time without cut, man, I can get a pile that big off Paxton's head. And you're like, that's a big old pile. But when you sweep it up, it don't weigh nothing. It don't weigh nothing, right? It says that when he cut his hair at the end of the year, it weighed five and a half pounds. That's a lot of hair, right? I don't even know why we're pausing to look at that verse. Other than maybe some of the people in the room want to think about five and a half pounds of hair, right? It goes on for, well, hold on, let's stop. You need to get it. You need to get a good picture before I get, before I get any more. Look at him right here. Just kidding. No, maybe. Hit the slide. Try it out. 
We got a little bit for everybody in there. You got old Brad Pitt back when he had good hair. Thor over there rocking it. Aquaman, Jason Momoa. Mm, he fine. Right? You even got Johnny. You even got Johnny Depp, who I think is a weird creepo. But some people like him when he's a pirate. Right? Because he had long hair. Here's what you got right here. I want you to understand, like, this is Absalom. Present day. He ain't got no flaws physically. He's good looking all the way. You don't see no fat dudes up there, right? This dude is fine from head to toe. He got it going on, right? But, but hold on now. Hold on now. I don't want to spill the beans for what's coming. This guy's going to be completely off the deep end here real soon. So why is scripture making such a point on these, these verses in the middle of this big thing? Because you need to understand, we look at people today just like they looked for Saul back then. What were they looking for? Somebody who looked good. Somebody who met my requirements rather than the Lord's requirements. Y'all do it when you pick partners. You do it when you pick favorite people. You do it when you're picking a sports team. I mean, let's be honest. Think about it now. You ever go, go back to the old days playing kickball on the playground? Who's the last kid picked? He looked like one of two ways. Y'all just be honest and tell me or I'll point him out. Huh? He, he he was fat or skinny. That's it. I'd have got in trouble if I put it that way. So thank you for putting it that way. Let's be honest. He 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 was a little bean on a pole with some glasses, or he was four foot two and five hundred pounds. Everywhere in between them got picked. Why? Because what do we assume? The athletic build must be able to help me win the game, right? We like them more. We approach them more. We keep them more. We do the same crap today that people have been doing since the very beginning. Right? And scripture thinks just enough right here to pause. because, And I wonder, I don't know this, but I wonder, even for me, because when I read this thing, y- y'all know I, I'm the type of man that like to give another man what he deserves if he treats a woman wrong. Okay? If you didn't know that, that's a way to get my button pushed right there. So so, so maybe, maybe scripture just did this just for me, because I know none of the rest of you are like that. I fell in the trap of thinking, man, I kind of like Absalom. <laughs> dude took care of business when his sister got raped. Dude ain't cutting no, you know, dude got it going on right now. He's recovered from his fall physically and worldly. He's got it going. So maybe scripture pauses right here to make sure that we understand it ain't about what you like about somebody. It's about what scripture likes about somebody. So we get this pause and we get this picture of him. And then we realize in the future, like just because he started, I think that's what scripture is doing, trying to make us realize like we're about to start pulling for a Saul type figure again when it don't make no sense. Because spiritually, this guy's going to be out of loop, which which I'll get to in a minute. So so go back. Verse 24, just before that first verse. And I can just shift you just a little bit this time. Right. Verse 24 says this. However, the king added. We left off where he's allowed to come back. So. Joab goes to Geshur, gets him, brings him back to Jerusalem. However, the king added, he may return to his house. You wonder how he said the word his? He can return to his house, but he ain't coming to mine. Right? He can go to his place, but he ain't coming to mine. He will not even see my face. So Absalom returned to his, to his house, but he did not even see the king. I think David makes his biggest mistake ever right here. And he, and here's why. Because some of you are thinking, yeah, but he didn't murder somebody. He didn't slow. Right. He, he did. I mean, he's an idiot on a lot of terms. But, but he had, he had a heart conviction 
that allowed him to at least see he was wrong and admit he was wrong. We get to this section right here, and David makes his biggest mistake ever, because right now he's supposed to be on the increase and doing things right, and his mistake is this. Oh, he can come back, but I refuse to ever see him or even let him see my face. Is that really what his son needed at this moment? Is it really what his country needed at this moment? Here's your viewpoint you got. I'll tell you different viewpoints. You've got son who's sitting there. Yes, I can finally talk to my dad. We can finally get some stuff for it. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know at what moment Absalom truly lost it. I know he's on a downward spiral for three chapters. But I don't know when the moment where it just finally broke it and that was it was. Maybe he's finally at this at this part where he's like, yes, I'm getting there. And daddy don't talk to him none. Daddy don't love on him none. Daddy don't try to give no correction. Daddy don't try to tell him, I know, I understand your pain, son. That's why I didn't react because I would react the same way you would reacted. And that's not a good spiritual way to react. None of that. Daddy's content that he's home and he, and he closes the door on it. Does that sound like how some of us solve our family problems? Just gloss over the obvious and never address the issue. So you got that viewpoint. Now, the next viewpoint you got is from his people because David's a king. What's his people thinking? I'll tell you what they're thinking. The same thing I thought. He didn't get no justice for Tamar, and now he ain't getting no justice for Amnon. What kind of king do we have? He must be an unjust king. Because he's just let his boy come on back and live in the palace. Maybe it was the shack in the palace because he gets his own part of it. Now, some of y'all think, hey, you know he was in the, in the palace. He still got servants. Read it. His servants went and caught Joab's field on fire, right? He still got servants. He, he still got, if you read chapter 15, he, come, he comes everywhere he goes. He got 50 horses and chariots leading the way in chapter 15. This dude got it all still going on. So every townsperson is thinking, oh, David just let everybody get away with everything and let him come on back. Is that the way that people should be viewing him? This goes on for two years. Now, don't spill the beans, but just write it in your notes. Two plus three equals five plus two equals. Just pause for those of us that understand the symbolism behind number seven. Huh? Think about it. Think about it. Seven. You think that's a coincidence? That thing hit me mid conversation with Crystal about Thursday, I think it was. Hadn't even really thought about it. I'm like trying to flow through the story as fast as I can. And throwing I'm a number of guys, so any number in the verse, I'm like, it's going to stand out to me. I was like, yeah, there was two years here and three years there. And in two years, I said, those equal seven years. I don't. <laughs> God did it again. What's seven? Number of completion. So something good should be about to start happening now, right? Supposed to. Supposed to. Keep it in your notes. Keep it in your notes. Right? Is this us? Is David us right now where we refuse to talk to people that we may not know how to talk to them about what we need to talk to them about? Do we refuse to embrace and to listen to people because we, we don't like the way they're doing things, right? If nothing else, is anything in this story making you feel better about your own family yet? Right? I know some of you got some messed up families, but I can feel pretty good about my family right now with what's going on in David's family, right? Men, listen to me right here. You women too, but this, this is men right here. Our greatest temptation as men is not to do outright wickedness. Our greatest temptation as men is to do nothing. It's to do nothing. That word apathy at the very beginning, or if you saw it last night on Facebook, that, 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 that lack of emotion to drive you to do anything. 
That, that, that's where he's at. That's, that's where, even before David and his family, that's where it was at the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. Garden of Eden, we all know the story, right? God creates man, Adam. He's supposed to be the spiritual leader. He's created him in the garden. He's got a job to do. He gets a relationship with this, this woman that, that God brings forth, Eve. He's to be her protector. He's to be her pro- provider. He's the leader spiritually. He's to lay down his life for her. And like us, he utterly failed. Thinking, man, you're being harsh on, on Adam, are you not? Yeah, because I read it in the Hebrew. And when you read it in the Hebrew, you, you get a little bit more than what you and I get when we read it in the English. See, we read it and we think like, oh, poor Adam. He was out there trying to work the field and, and he was doing his job and he had so much work out there that he wasn't able to, to deal with stuff here. No, if you read it in the Hebrew, it words it very different. That when the snake came and tempted the woman with the forbidden fruit, here's the interesting thing. Adam is right there watching this take place. He's sitting right there, standing there, doing nothing. Are we not always right there doing nothing? Huh? How many of us were right there watching the news doing nothing? We're right there listening to somebody that we know is lost doing nothing. We're trapped on a boat with somebody for 12 hours doing nothing. How many? Let's be honest and real, guys. He is not off somewhere doing something important. He's standing there letting her be tempted. Why? And here's the only way you can interpret it. As much as you want to sugarcoat it for Adam or yourself. Only way to interpret it. You know, God said we're not supposed to eat of that. And if we eat of that, we're going to die. I know what I'll do. I'll stand right back here and I'll watch her eat it. And if she dies, and that tells me not to eat it. Now, that sounds like a funny way of saying it. But is that not exactly what he had to be doing? Because if he really believed the word of God, what should he have been doing? Let me tell you how it should have gone down. How it should have gone down is the fact that he should have busted over there and said, listen here, you slimy, little, ugly, serpent-looking, satanic, slithering thing. You ain't going to talk to my woman that way. That was the PG-13 and a half version of it right there. Right? So I had to go a little slower and think before I said each one. Right? That's what he should have been doing. He should have said, no, my job is to protect her. My job is to provide for her. My job is to feed her spiritually. My job is to take lay down my life for her to make sure everything's happening the way God said it should have happened. But we don't do that. We don't do it. We amen it, but we don't do it. And neither did Adam. He sat right there and let this thing take place. He sat right there and let her take the first bite. Men, no, we weren't the first ones to sin, and we're so quick to say, ha ha, you, you brought sin into the world. No, we were as passive as we could be in the situation, and that's what allowed the opportunity to take place. We set the playing field for Satan, which I think might even be worse than the first sin, huh? Maybe the first sin was apathy. Maybe we've been missing it for years. Maybe the first sin wasn't chewing on the fruit. Maybe the first sin was not doing nothing at all. Maybe that's why not doing nothing at all is the thing that's getting us in trouble more and more and more and more and more and more every single day. Our families being destroyed because we don't do nothing. Our churches being destroyed because we don't do nothing. Storefronts being destroyed because we didn't do nothing. Well, let's just keep not doing nothing and see if that solves things. It ain't solved nothing in 2,000 years. Probably ain't going to solve nothing else. Why, why get involved, right? By now, the problem's so big we can't solve it. Is that not David mentality for a lot of his stuff? Is that not our mentality sometimes for a lot of the stuff? It shouldn't be, but it is. Should have said, we're not eating nothing but what the Lord said we can eat. Which is funny because the Lord said you could eat everything else. My God, how bad does it have to be 
when you're allowed to eat everything except for the one thing. First time I wrote this down, I read it to you in my notes. I said, we ain't eating the forbidden tree. We eating the tree of life, which is true. But he could have been eating from all the trees. There's only one tree he wasn't allowed to eat of. We so knuckleheaded as people, it's only the one thing that we can't have that we want. That ties into a couple weeks of this series right now, right? It's not a sin of commission. It's a sin of omission. And I think the sins of omission are greater than the sins of commission, personally, guys. Because those sins are escalating more and more things. The world got screwed up not because man did something bad. The world got screwed up because man didn't do nothing at all. We just let it happen. The original sin was abandonment of spiritual leadership. Guess what, man? You called to be the spiritual leaders. And you get your little panties in a wad because women are taking, because you're not doing it. I thank God for women that have picked up the torches and ran with it because men threw the torch down and let it sit in the puddle. Right? She should look at us every time somebody says something that dumb and say, you know what? I wouldn't have to do it if they was doing it. Can't you picture like a good southern woman throwing that out there? You know, like a woman finally does something at the house, but she don't do it right. Right? Not by right, I mean to the man's standard. So the man comes home and complains about it. You know, she, you can picture her right now, hand on the hip. Well, I wouldn't have to do it at all if you did it. Especially if she's pregnant, you had a belly out there then. Right? Well, it wouldn't look ugly if you'd have done it the right way to begin with. I've been on your list for 17 years. Right? Uh huh. Uh-huh. Let's let's get real real right here, guys. Let's get real real. Both men and women, but mainly men still for this little section, right? Here's some numbers. Why are men so absent in the church? Now I'm grateful that most of the time ours ours is a little different, but, but typical study says women make up more than sixty percent of the churches. That's sad. That's that's unacceptable. That's unacceptable. Right? And, and further in further reading, I, I read this week about overseas mission. And I got your little spiritual answer here in a minute too, right? The, the, in the really dangerous areas, the most, it words it this, the most dangerous areas. Women volunteers outnumber men three to one. Three to one? So you're telling me girls are like people without the gospel, people dying, kids that ain't got nothing to eat. Let's get involved. And then the man says, what's on ESPN? That's what's happening. Now, some of you think it's spiritual. I know. I know. Unrealistic. Y'all, I already got, I already got you because I went there. See, my brain, my brain works worldly and spiritually. That's why I get in so much trouble. Because it'll work worldly and then the Lord will slap the dog mess out of me and get me back spiritually real fast. Had the same thought. I said, well, that, that's only true because women don't work as much and like they got the time to be able to go. I was trying to justify, you know, you're trying to justify something as much as you can whenever you're the one that's wrong, right? Even to the point of, 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 of thinking, well, maybe spiritually the Lord is only calling three women to every one man. And it wasn't audible, but it was almost audible. The Lord was saying, do you really believe the junk coming out of your mouth? Right. Do you really believe the crap rolling through your brain right now? And I had to admit, no, I think the Lord is calling men and women. I think he might be calling to the dangerous areas. Men, first and foremost, for two reasons. Now, we get all macho and we want to protect. And that's, that may be one reason. But how about the second reason? How about let's get some manly men in some areas to show boys or, or, or men who think they are men who've been raised the wrong way that it's OK to be a manly man and have some compassion. 
right? We've messed up. I'm not talking about the foreign mission field. I'm talking about all mission fields. We messed up in this, this mindset of every man. Go back two pictures, three pictures, whatever it was. Go back to the picture. Not only the long hair, because my boys know that's crap right there. We don't play that game, right? But but we, we, we get this mindset. Oh, yeah, you need to be tatted up and flexed out like Aquaman, Jason Momoa. That's a bad dude, right? And if that ain't enough, you need to be like Thor, right? You need to be the man. You need to take care of business. And if that ain't enough, you go on like um Brad Pitt, because Brad Pitt's a tiny dude if you ever really look at him. But he always got a movie with guns. So you just get you a gun. And that'd make you real cool and tough, right? And if you was old enough to be a pirate, you could be a pirate. I don't know where that one's going. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, why can't we just teach young boys and young men growing up that you can be a bad dude and still be spiritual? Right? Right? You don't have to be the bean pole with glasses and you don't have to be the, the fat kid that's pick glass. You can be the kid in the middle and still be sold out to Jesus. Sold out to kingdom living. Right? Think about it. Why can't you be a good athlete, bench pressing big numbers, running fast, if if that's how you're going, right? And still be a dude who says, no, I'm not going to do that because that that goes against kingdom living. Right? Or the rest of it. Why can't you be the dude who, who catches the biggest fish, shoots the biggest buck, got the biggest truck? Nah, I'm not going to do that because I ain't kingdom living when you ask to do something wrong. Why can't you be the most gorgeous girl with, with some really nice outfits that are classy instead of slutty and, and be I'm not wearing that because that, that goes against that goes against what I'm supposed to be going and wearing. Why can't we? Why can't we be the cool people? By worldly standards, which is probably bad to even think about. But why can't we and still be set apart? I think more so nowadays, if you go back and study a lot of the set apart rules, the reason God had a lot of them rules and laws was so that we look different, so that people instantly knew it. It wasn't just because God didn't like two types of material in your clothes. And it wasn't because God hated markings on the body. And it wasn't because God didn't like certain hairstyles and, 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 and the 620 other ones. It was because God wanted us to look different. All right, we've messed up and now we start looking the same. How about let's just act different and that'll make us stand out. You're supposed to stand out in it, right? How about let's stand out and start acting different for real in this? I've got no idea where we're at, right? I apologize. I really do. I told you, I warned you before we even started this thing. Let's, let's go back, let's go back to the men in parenting. What, why are men so absent in parenting? Why have we let women become the spiritual leaders in raising our kids? More, la- more than that, why have we let, here, here's where I think we get in trouble with now. Why have we let women become the disciplinary leader in the household too? Think about it. You can watch the trend. You can watch how bad it gets. Guys, listen to me. My most important job, it was what I do at 360 Kimball Road. You guys can find another pastor. There's plenty of good ones out there. They can find another tired guy. There's probably not many of those good ones out there, but but you can find one. She ain't finding no other husband, because even if I'm dead, I'll come back and get him. And they can't get another daddy. You hear what I'm saying? This is not my most important job in case you thought it was. My most important job is being a daddy and a husband. Right? You guys can get other stuff. They can't. 
I, I was reading a couple weeks ago, Gospel Powered Parenting. Hadn't read the whole book, so can't recommend it as far as yet. But I like some of the stuff he puts in. So I wanted to give him a quote. I tried to find it on Audible, but it wasn't there. So you know that made it harder for me to read, listen to. Right? Here's one of the things, though. He says, now I'm Susan, he says, because I hadn't had a chance to disprove or prove it. I think he's right. He points out that every verse written on parenting is written to a man. Oh, well, my toes just got stepped on over the next month instead of two weeks, right? Think about it. Every verse. So, guys, ask yourself, are you leading in parenting? Are you leading in discipline? Are you leading in discipling? If you're not, your family may be headed down the same path as David's. Right? Verse 29. Two years. Absalom is sending messages to Joab for two years requesting an audience with his dad. And if that won't work, at least let me talk to the king. What's verse 30 say, though? Look at verse 30. Then Absalom said to his servant, see, Joab has a field right next to mine. They were neighbors. Talk about loving your neighbor. Here you go. He's got a barley field. Go set it on fire. That'll get his attention. Right? You say, well, what in the world's going on here? Any psychologist will tell you exactly what's going on. A child start acting up because daddy's preoccupied with everything else going on in the world instead of what he's supposed to be doing in the house. Yeah, your, your, your boy starts getting in, in more trouble and, and endeavor with stuff. Your, your girl starts dressing like a prostitute. She's trying to get, he's trying to get daddy's attention. They're crying out for attention. That's what it is. Now you can say, well, that's the wrong way to do it. And it is, but you're the wrong way to let them there. Right? Let's not throw all the blame on them. Let's make sure we claim our part. Red flag, men, for a lot of you, I think some kids are setting some fields on fire and you need to wake up. Because if you don't wake up, your barley field is going to be burned down and so is all your territory. And then your family life and your home life is going to be destroyed. Eventually, David allows Absalom back in. And that's it. That's where the whole chapter ends. There's no conversation. They don't sit down and talk about what happened. It's half-hearted reconciliation the entire time. Ignoring the problem don't work. Matter of fact, most of the time when you ignore a problem, it escalates the problem. I mean, just look at how it happens. Verse 33, he came to the king, he bowed himself on, on the ground. Well, what does that mean? All that means is he outwardly, outwardly submitted to David. There's nothing inward that takes place. It ain't no different than people when they come down to the altar and look all spiritual and holy, but don't change nothing in their life. It's no different than the guy that comes to a to an AA or an NA meeting or any other kind of meetings every week and picks up a white chip. If you're picking up a white chip every single week, let me tell you, you got problems and it ain't the white chip. Okay, it's something else. Some of y'all thinking, what is a white chip? They play poker at AA. No, that's your first chip, man. That's just that's your day you saying I'm turning around. I'm changing. But you can't turn around and change every single week because that means for six other days you didn't change. Right. Same thing with, with, with the Lord. Right. What what really happens, and, and, and I think most of you already know, so it's not really supposed to be. What really happens is this failure to reconcile leaves a legacy of bitterness, what turns out real bad for David, real bad for Absalom, and real bad for all of Israel for a long period of time. All because he chose to do nothing. We're thinking, hold on. That verse got more written to it. It does. Let's read it. Then the king kissed Absalom. Ah, oh, it's all good now. Let me tell you what happened right here in this. Symbolically, what's the kiss mean? One word. Forgiveness. Does it? King kiss you. Things are forgiven, right? David offered Absalom forgiveness without any repentance and without any resolution of the wrong that was done. That's not forgiveness. Not scriptural forgiveness. Right? Right? 
There, there's no turnaround. There's no repenting. There's nothing. What is all the town people thinking that is seeing this? This is why churches, when we corrupt theology from kingdom theology, this is where we mess up. Because we do that and then people outside see it and are like, oh, well, that's okay. And then they corrupt another little bit of it and another little bit of it. And before you know it, we got this whole thing that's supposed to be sound doctrine that should ever be added to or taken away from. We got the whole thing corrupted. We got a little comma there. We got a scratch out there. We put some white out here because we didn't like it. Well, oh, God didn't put enough, so we add a little bit more on that verse and make it what we wanted to be, right? That's what we do. That's what we do, guys. This, this, this turnaround is good for personal relationship. Proverbs 10, 12 says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins, all right? But he's a king. He's the chief judge. David is excusing and overlooking obvious crime. And that can't be done. David's forgiveness is completely inadequate then. And I'm pointing this out so that we make sure what it's pointing us to. This leads to a further outbreak of sin. When forgiveness is inadequate, it leads to a further outbreak of sin. When things aren't dealt with and handled right, it leads to a further outbreak of sin. God's forgiveness is completely adequate. He warns you, don't go and sin no more, remember? We always leave that out, though, right? We're like, yeah, we're saved. Yeah, but he also said turn around and change your living. Don't, don't forget that part, right? Go, go and sin no more. God doesn't choose to just ignore our sin. He dealt with our sin. It, it's what y'all are so, so proud of all the time with the cross. Do we really understand the viewpoint from the cross? The payment that, w- that was on the cross? He didn't just ignore sin. He paid for sin in full. And if you and I choose to ignore the payment of sin... We, we've missed out on something. If we choose to ignore the, the years and years and years and years, let me get to, to Matthew. The years and years and years of sin having to have a sacrificial animal and bloodshed for it, we've missed what's at the cross. We've missed it. God's not just winking at sin, He's weeping at sin. And He continues to weep at sin. You and I can't do that. We gotta acknowledge it. We can't keep ignoring it. Now, now a whole different viewpoint. Go back to verse 28 again. This one I'll go quicker because I know we're, we're there. Absalom lived two or four years in Jerusalem and didn't see the king's face. Didn't see David's face. Didn't see his father's face. This is probably, this is a verse God would not let me leave all week. Like it just stood out to me. It was, it was, it was the thing, right? I'm thinking for two years, how heartbreaking that must have been to live in the same town, the same cul-de-sac, shop at the same stores, know the same people, have the same family, and make sure you never see each other face to face. It took more work probably for them to not see each other than it took for them to see each other, I bet. Some of you right now are living a life that's taking more work to do wrong than it would take to just do right. That's nowhere in my notes. That's pretty good, right? Absalom lives in the same town as dad. So just picture this and think about it. Family reunion. Well, daddy gets to go for the first four hours. You get to go for the second four hours. Or one of them don't get to go at all. Shopping at Walmart. You ever been at Walmart and you go to walk down the same aisle, you know somebody at the other end of the aisle, and you're like, oh, I don't need to see them right now. Like, So, so you go down. What, was that David and his dad? You know, where they rolling through the, the Jerusalem Walmart and, uh, oh, wrong aisle. I gotta, you know, look down. You can't see each other face to face. How, how extensive did they have to go through 
to make a point of not seeing each other. Hey, you better text and make sure your dad's not over there before you go over there. You better call to make sure your son's not there before you check it out. Right? How extensive did he have to go? This is intentional ignorance. That's what this section is. Intentional ignorance. And we do it all the time. We're intentionally ignorant. Rather than just trying to solve a solution to do things the right way. And it makes things worse. But, but here's what, here, here's what really got me though. And, and I know this is a different viewpoint. So, so you, some of you got something from, from the first half just now. And it was more than half, I promise. We're not halfway there, right? Some of you, some of you got a lot of stuff for that. Here's the second viewpoint though. And I, and I want to totally change it. What if you're reading this thing from, from a different viewpoint and you're Absalom? I'll tell you, I'll tell you what happens just by things in this verse. Verses before and in the next couple chapters. Absalom continues to live like a prince. He does. He's got all the benefits of his family name. He he, he continues to have a, a great measure of favor, by the way, right? His family's blessed. It says that he's got strong sons and a beautiful daughter who he has a name in tomorrow also. So he's got the he's got the people hearts again. Oh, he named his daughter after his sister that was right. Like this is yeah, he's got it. He's he's political genius, right? Huh? His finances are blessed. Chapter 15, I shared with you a minute ago that everywhere he goes, he's got uh, 50 horses and chariots leading the way, which should be a red flag also, because I believe scripture tells kings they shouldn't rely on horses and chariots. They should rely on the Lord before going into war. But maybe I'm crazy. We'll look at it next week. Right. And, and yet, yet living in the same neighborhood, same community, same close to he never sees the face of the king. Now, now, here's where I want you to be, believers. Here's where I want you to be. You know, here's where I want you to be. Just be honest. Don't raise your hands. Right. Here's the challenge this morning. I wonder if this picture of Absalom is a glimpse into our lives. I wonder if there's some of us that we attend church faithfully. We hang out with family members. We hang out with church folks. We live in the same neighborhood, in the same vicinity as the king. We bear the benefits of having the name king under us. We throw our names out and we have the authority to do so. Our family's blessed and we find the provisions blessed. We, we live like an heir to a throne. Yet we hadn't been face to face with the king in years. In years. And unlike Absalom and David, I promise you it ain't daddy's fault in this case. It's ours. Right? We sit through a worship service. We let some words roll off our tongue. Yet we remain in the outer court and we never enter the holy of holies. We never get to to peek into and be affected by the face of God. We never have an upper room experience because we're not really with God where we're supposed to be with God at. And you wonder why you're missing the power of the Holy Spirit. And you wonder why maybe you've missed that, that Pentecost experience. See, we did get to tie it back in, right? How long has it been since you've encountered him? Answer honestly on yourself. Be real with God right now. Yeah, yeah, but I'm blessed and I'm highly favored. Yeah, you ought to be if you're his. You ought to be if you're his, right? But the question isn't that. The question is, how long has it been since you've been face to face with Abba Father? How long has it been before you've been face to face with the king? How long has it before you've realized something this lady said in her speech to David, 2 Samuel chapter 14, verse 14, where she says, but God does not take away life. Instead, he devises ways so that a banished person may not remain estranged from him. Wow. What a verse. He devises means so that his banished are not expelled from him. Now, the lady's telling David what you find a way to do it. But for us today, he's telling us God finds a way to do it. Not at the expense of justice. God reconciles us by satisfying justice, not ignoring justice like David did. He satisfies it, right? He works out ways to get the exiled back. This is a beautiful picture of what's going on, right? 
God is devising ways right now to get you back into his presence. Some of the crap going on outside, some of the virus stuff that happened may have very well been just to get you back in his presence. Instead of behind the scenes, some of the turmoil, some of the trouble, some of the uneasiness, some of the unrest in your family has been that way to get you back in the presence of God. So that you got to fall face down on your knees and it not just be an outward submission to a king, it'd be an inward submission to a king. And it's sad but true, but thank God that he's working harder at this than we are. But he's been working at this harder than we have. And if you don't know Jesus this morning, maybe that's the whole point of logging on or just being here this morning. It's so that you can meet Jesus face to face and begin to check out what kingdom living is really about and how it should be changing what we do and how we handle things that go on outside the walls. And stop with the dumb thing of, yeah, but but that's in here and that. No, God did not say his kingdom stops at the church door. This is this is like a huddle so that we can get the kingdom going when we get out the church door. Okay. If we don't start changing and getting the kingdom ready, then, then we're in a, in a heap of trouble. So everything, y'all already know Jesus, no. Maybe you should get back to chasing and seeking him. You remember what it was like when you used to chase and seek him? Huh? You remember? We talk about all the time, like, like how much we like to be chased and we like to be seeked. Do, do you remember what it's like to be chased and seeked and to chase and seek after something? The excitement and, and the thrill that goes with that? I want us to get to a place where we chase God's face again. I want us to get to a place where we're like Absalom. We can say, you know, man, I, I messed up in the flesh, but but I want I want to stop this thing and it get real before it get worse. Now, now I can't ignore the fact of, of 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 Absalom does some unconventional way right here, right? He, he sets Joab's fields on fire and, and just pause pause with me for just a minute and note a note right here. This shows you very clearly that, that these fields being on fire, how brutal and immoral Absalom really is. He's letting his true self out. But I still think his true self could have been rescued. I do. I, I believe it. I believe a person can be rescued to the very end. So scripture says, right? So, 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 so he does that. But we get a glimpse. He's brutal and he's immoral. He's probably the greatest contrast between the prodigal son and anything else in the world, right? You remember the prodigal son? He comes back. He's humble. He, he just wants to work for his dad. He'll eat out the, the pig trough. Like he, he's as humble and as broken and, and, and the right attitude as he can get. This guy comes back burning fields down. With a vengeance. And it's going to get worse. And, and I guess we can tie that into our current situation with this. We can say, sure, what goes on outside is definitely wrong. But something drove him to that point. Something, something drove him to go crazy. After two years with no audience with the king and asking to meet with him over and over again, the king finally reverses his decision. One thing I can give Absalom that I wish some of us would get, you know, I tell you all the time, you know, Mormons might be crazy and other religions might be crazy, but at least they're dedicated. They're dedicated. You can't argue that, right? What if we would get as crazy as they are? What if we would get as crazy and do some different things like setting fields on fire to get people's attention, right? Please don't go catch fields on fire and think that's what I really mean, right? What, what, well, if we keep doing what we've been doing, we say we keep getting what we've been getting, right? Well, shouldn't we just do something different? If we're going to get involved, doesn't that mean we got to do different things too? Doesn't God say I come to do a new thing? But maybe that means we ought to start doing some new things too. Right? In the last days, scripture says that people will be hungry and thirsty for a new thing. Well, if we don't have the new thing, how are we going to feed them? And how are we going to give them something to drink that they're hungry and thirsty for, right? Some people are never going to get to the new place and places they've never been because they, they don't take the risk. 
Man, get out the boat, cast the net on the other side, right? Jesus honored people that took risk and shame. You ever thought about that? The most shameful and the most riskful situations was the ones that like faith was escalated the most in. There was never a disappointment. Look at Matthew 15. Or, or just jot it down. We don't have time to look at it. But the, the Canaanite woman who came crying to Jesus, Lord, have mercy on me. My daughter, she's suffering terribly from this demon possession. The disciples said what? Get away. Get away. He ain't got time to mess with you. Get away. She came. She knelt before Jesus and said this phrase. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. She, she's not going to let them stop her. She's going to go crazy right here and say something crazy. So Jesus answered the craziness. Woman, you've got a great faith. Your request is granted. Your daughter's healed at this very hour. Not later. Not one day, right now. Because you took the risk right now. Be willing to risk to see God do great things. Maybe your risk is like Abraham. Genesis chapter 12. Abraham gets this risk of of, of leave your country, leave your people, leave your father's household. Go to a land that I'll show you and I'll turn you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. You want me to tell you what's really going on in the, in the, 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 the thing Abraham is hit with right here? He's tempted to stay where he's familiar and secure rather than step out on faith and go where God told him and see something that that he can't even see yet. Right. God has called us to go to greater places. Now, your security is not in your safe zone. Your security is not in your family. Security is not in this church build. Your security and only your security is found in the way of Christ. In the kingdom way. So so what was it this morning for you as we close? What, what, What do you need some reconciliation? Do you need to initiate reconciliation? Do you just need to realize time is counting? Time is short. Once the water's poured, it's gone. Have you been half-hearted in all these things that we talk about? Is it about time to get serious rather than playing the game? Are you enjoying the benefits of the family without actually being involved in the family? Maybe you need to hear that, that God just makes a way. Maybe you need to realize. Maybe this is the maybe this is the last point right here. This one in here, but I just thought about it. Absalom is David's son, right? Right? Now, if y'all don't know this, I'll go back to preaching. You won't get lunch today. Threaten me if you want to, right? right? Absalom is the king's son, right? Is Jesus not the king's son? Now, now we've said, now I understand these two got a lot of problems. But we've said for a while in a lot of what we what we look at in scripture, David is symbolic. What? What if the king's son is setting your field on fire to get your attention? Right? Fires get the attention of people, right? Whether it be daylight or nighttime. Nighttime, a big fire gets everybody's attention, man. What you hear? Get the s'mores. All right, let's make it. You got the attention. People know, people know what they do when they see a fire. Right? There's a fire burning and you in the south. What's that mean? Bonfire. Everybody get a chair. Grab your drink, grab some s'mores for the kids. Why is it any different when God starts a fire? Shouldn't we know what to do then? Huh? See the fire, what's God saying? It's time to deal with some issues that ain't been dealt with. It's time to quit being half-hearted in our reconciliation and realize that we've been doing something wrong along the way, and now it's time to try to change it up and do something right, whatever it is. Again, I'm not saying I got the answers. I'm just saying what we've been doing is the wrong answer on every level. And that can only tell me this. If I keep doing the wrong thing the wrong way all the time, I'm never going to get to the right way. So therefore, we got to change something to try to find a solution. Your spiritual life, your, your marriage, your child raising or the world outside. It's all the same. Let's pray.
Father God, we love you so much. God, I don't even know what you did with this chapter this morning, to be honest, because you went everywhere with it. And, I, and I'm grateful you did, God, because that means it connects to so many things in our lives, Lord. Lord, I pray that you take this chapter, you take chapters we've looked at before and set the stage with, God. God, you take the future of this series. You take the reading of your word and the studying and, and the prayers of your people, Lord God. You take our time alone with you, God. Right, Lord, you break broken so that God we can be restored to a level we've never been restored to God I pray right now Lord God that in our time alone if your people will humble themselves as your word says and they'll get some alone time with you Lord God so for the rest of them that don't want to be alone with you God this don't apply but for the ones Lord God that are willing to sacrifice and get alone with you to hear from you Lord God not me you your word your way your heart God, I pray that you do something so significant inside of them that there'll be fires set up everywhere, Lord God. And then your spirit, Lord God, like it did on this day so many years ago, Lord God, will come down like a gushing wind. And that wind will hit the fires, Lord God, and they will spread like they've never spread before. And God, we might just be able to solve some of this crap that we've been dealing with for so long because we half-heartedly dealt with it before. Or we just let somebody else deal with it when you put that burden on us. God, let us quit being afraid of the burden and take the burden. God, do something special in your people, Lord God, so that your people can do something special in this world like you've called us to do. In your great name we pray. Amen.